Welcome back to another edition of the podcast. I'm your host, Michael Pagani, joined alongside Ryan Talbot, who covers the Buffalo Bills for New York Upstate. Welcome to the show, Ryan. Thank you again for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me on. We are officially in the NFL offseason, and currently we've had two blockbuster trades. One is the Matthew Stafford one, which, uh, you know, doesn't affect the Bills uh, you know, as close to as the Carson Wentz trade. Exa- just how exactly does the Carson Wentz trade affect the Bills? Well, it depends on what Carson Wentz that the Colts get. If, if Frank Wright can bring him back to his previous glory, so to speak, which if any coach can, it's Frank Reich. I mean, he was there during that Super Bowl era, during that time where Carson Wentz was playing good football. Um, then, it, then it means that there's another potential threat in the AFC long term. Now, do the Bills and Colts cross paths a lot? Not necessarily. If they both finish in the same spot in the division, they, they would play each other. If they, they have each other's divisions um, matched up that year, they could play each other. But it would be more of like a down-the-road-in-the-playoff type threat. But, yeah, uh, you go back and you look at Buffalo's matchup against the Colts in the wildcard round, obviously besides the championship game where the Chiefs outplayed them in all three phases, that Colts game was their most difficult matchup. They They – were much better suited to play against a team like the Ravens, where the Colts really, you know, they played a, a tough four quarters. They have a promising young back in Jonathan Taylor. They have a young wide receiver in Michael Pittman. They have a plethora of tight ends. And, you know, I know a few of them could be free agents. I think at least one is a potential free agent this year. But they, they, they're still three or four deep at that position. Uh, so there's options there. One of the best offensive lines in football. So you, you put all that together and it, it, it sounds like a recipe for success for Carson Wentz. It's just unlocking that and getting him back to where he once was. Defense is also very promising for that team. So they could be a, a true threat for the Bills down the road. I'm just glad that Buffalo is not in this situation where they're looking for a franchise quarterback and they're willing to sell the farm, so to speak, like that Matthew Stafford trade. Not so much like the Carson Wentz deal. We've heard rumors uh, involving Deshaun Watson and how he is linked to, he was first linked to the Dolphins and now he's linked to the Jets. But the one thing about the Jets is, you know, they finished on a really poor note. Uh, You know, they had a horrific season and it's weird that, you know, the Jets and Watson would want to be, you know, a fit together because what's so different about the Texan situation versus the Jets? Yeah, that's a great question, and I, I know that the Jets are have been kind of down and out for a while now. Uh, I think a lot of it would have to go with what he thinks of their new head coach, uh, which obviously a lot of people speak glowingly of Robert Salah. Um, the GM, Joe Douglas, you know, he was in Philadelphia for a long time. He built some winners there. He played a part in building some winners there. Um, I think that they they obviously have some cap space to work with where they could kind of build around him. Uh, I'm not ready to say that Denzel Mims is the number one wide receiver in this league, but he showed some promise as a rookie. Uh, you could bring back some other talent. I think you could upgrade at a lot of positions, but they have some talent there. They had some key players opt out, mostly on defense at linebacker. Uh, but, you know, maybe they're not as far off as people think. If you look at the rest of this division, the Patriots, they are kind of playing that musical chairs game right now. We don't know who their quarterback's going to be. They're probably too far out to take one of the top quarterbacks in this year's draft in round one unless they move up, make some kind of trade there. Uh, the Dolphins, for as good as they were this year, and I still think they will be a contender in the AFC East next year, there's questions about Tua. Uh, in terms of, you know, 
when he played at Alabama, he, he was extremely accurate, but he was also throwing to NFL wide receivers who many weeks are not playing NFL caliber cornerbacks. So if you have a guy that's running downfield and he has a three, four yard separation, it's kind of easier to hit those guys in the NFL. It's a little more difficult. Now, I think Tua can be an accurate quarterback, but what does he do extremely well? We don't know that right now. It's too early to write the guy off, but I need to see him develop too. So the division is there. It is open. I think the Bills are still the favorite for the foreseeable future, but there is still a path for a second team to make the playoffs in the AFC East. Now, when the pandemic hit back in March, uh, you know, hit the USA, both hit Canada here as well. How did that change your landscape of journalism and how you covered? Yeah, it made it really interesting. Um, You know, I I do this with uh, Matthew Perino over at the site. And and Matt is usually the one that will stay on campus for training camp and travel all the away games. Well, those were both off the table. Obviously, no camp this year, no, no traditional camp that is. Um, they didn't really travel for any games this year, but it, it also, you know, allowed us to use Zoom, use these other programs to interview players. Um, it, it made the job easier, but more challenging. I know that sounds odd to say that easier as in, you know, just about anyone with, with the credentials can get onto a computer, log in and take part in these interviews, no matter where you are in the country. So you'd see a lot more national media popping into these things where maybe, Someone will only be there for one day at St. John Fisher College. Um, So it gave you more opportunities, but it also challenged you to uh, think outside the box in terms of what can I write about? Because everyone's in that room, either asking the question or hearing that question being asked and getting that same transcript. So it's not like you can pull a player aside like you could uh, at a traditional training camp and work on a long form piece on those players. It, it did add some elements of difficulty, but at the same time, you know, kudos to the Bills, the NFL as a whole for finding a, another means for interviewing these players so we can get the job done. Getting into your story a bit here, you did actually grow up in Western New York. You were surrounded by the Bills Mafia. Do you remember what your first Bills game experience was like? Uh you know, in terms of like in person, I didn't go to many games in person. I waited till I was a little bit older for that. So I do remember some of those games and, and they weren't very good teams. I didn't go to many of the Super Bowl era Bills games. Um, but every Sunday at my family's house was, was, you know, Bills Day. We knew that growing up. We knew that after church, we'd come home, we'd have a, a solid hour and a half of wait time. And then it was time for Bills football. Um, so I, I did grow up in a household where my parents were diehard Bills fans. My family, would, all extended family, was a diehard Bills fans. There'd, there'd be parties come playoff time. Uh, I remember watching the Super Bowls and the different playoff games. The first Super Bowl, we went to a friend, one of my parents' friends' house, that is. Uh, and, I, and I remember that. I remember how upset everyone was over the missed field goal from Scott Norwood. I was still pretty young. I mean, I was about six years old at that time. So hey, it's not like I took that loss to heart. Um, but I, I do remember uh, getting a little bit older, you know, you get to like 1993 and they have the, the comeback game against Tennessee. I was not one of the people in attendance at that game. It seems like hundreds of thousands claim to be. Uh, but my aunt had one of those huge satellite dishes in her yard. So we were able to pick up the uh, national feed or the Houston, the, the ten, you know, Houston Oilers feed because it was actually blacked out locally for that game. But I do remember little things like that and spending time with my family growing up. So a lot of good memories. 
you mentioned the Super Bowl era, which had the likes of Jim Kelly, Andre Reid, and O.G. Simpson, among others. We could also mention Bruce Smith. Um, are you able to relate that to, you know, some of the core that's on this 2020 team? Yeah, you know, you'd like to think that Josh Allen could end up being that Jim Kelly type player. Uh, obviously broke a lot of records this year. And with the NFL most likely implementing a 17th game next year, he'll probably shatter his own records. Uh, as well as many of of Jim's records. But obviously, you know, Jim Kelly, it's, it's kind of tough to compare the two. And this is not a knock on Jim, but people kind of forget that after college, he was in the USFL for quite a few years uh, before he even came to the NFL. So he was pretty seasoned as is in his first year with Buffalo, and it took some time. Josh Allen, what he's doing now at this young age is really impressive. So I would not be shocked if he ends up being a better quarterback than Jim Kelly, which is really saying something. Uh, there is no Thurman Thomas on this roster. You know, Thurman Thomas was ahead of his time in terms of being a dual threat, uh, obviously as a rusher, but also as a receiver. He could hurt you in that way. Uh, Andre Reed, uh, really tough across the middle of the field, really special receiver. Obviously, Stefan Diggs showed that he can be a very special receiver this year, too, leading the NFL in receptions, in receiving yards. So, you know, they may have that wide receiver piece to this team like they did it back in those days. But people forget that there was also James Lofton on some of those Super Bowl teams, another Hall of Fame wide receiver. Uh, you had Don Beebe for that speed threat. You had Steve Tasker, who was more of a special teams guy but could contribute. Uh, but, you know, there's some talent there. And then on the defensive side of the ball, I think Buffalo's current secondary is better than uh, those Super Bowl secondaries, you know, you had Nate Odoms for some of them, Henry Jones, I can remember, um, so, you know, uh, Mark Kelso with the double helmet that he would wear. Uh, but I feel like that, er that area, this current Bills team is better, but there's no Bruce Smith on this team. Bruce Smith was a, seems like one of those once in a lifetime type players for a team where he could just get after the quarterback uh, inside, outside, no matter where they put him. And a lot of the time they were, you know, where he played, it was a lot more difficult to get sacks. If he would have been a true 4-3 DN, I think he would have racked up even more in his career. And then the linebacker core back then was special too with Daryl Talley, Cornelius Bennett, and the gang. So the, I'm sure they're hoping Tremaine Edmonds can be something like that in terms of being spoken about in the same breath. Just building off your point there about how young Josh Allen is and, you know, what he kind of is accomplishing you know, with the Bills going through their fair share of quarterbacks during that, you know, long drought that we are now thankful is over. When did it settle in for you that Josh Allen was the future quarterback? You know, you saw bits and pieces of it. And I'm not the only media member that went to bat for Josh Allen. Josh Allen took a lot of lumps from the national media after his rookie year, after year, especially after year two. And that's the, what bothered me the most as a rookie. Yeah. He was very scattered as a player. There'd be a flash here and there, and then there'd be a terrible interception or there'd be a terrible turnover. And I understood the knock against him as a rookie. Okay. You know, we've seen some of those special traits, but he needs to come together. I thought his sophomore season, despite maybe, not having great numbers across the board, he had taken a huge leap in production. He went from about 52% completion percentage to about 58. Now, again, in the NFL, 60 is the target. Anything over 60 is solid. 58 still wasn't good enough. But he threw for over 3,000 yards. He was still a rushing threat. And if you sat down and watched every game, you saw a lot more positive than negative, especially in that second half of the year. After that first Patriots game where he threw – uh, something like three interceptions. He really calmed down and started to play a lot better. But 
to the outside, it was still those terrible errant passes that were getting shown. This guy's not it. Uh, a, a lot of bashing. Now, did I think that he was going to jump from about 58 to 68% completion percentage? No, I'd be lying if I said that. I thought that the Bills, as they currently were going into last season, I said if Josh Allen took his play from where it was just a little bit higher, this team could make a run in the AFC. Now, he took his play extremely high, and they made it all the way to the championship game. Is he going to replicate those numbers again this year uh, in terms of completion percentage? I don't know about like 67, 68%, but I think he can be a 64, 65% completion rate guy for his the, the rest of his career, and I don't think that is a bad thing. I think that he can be a 4,000-yard passer, be in the MVP race year in, year out, run the ball when need be, still needs to work on taking some of those shots, not trying to stiff-arm guys down to the ground always. Uh, but, yeah, I, I just think that uh, it, the Bills prove that in, in today's NFL, one, you need patience and you need to have a true plan in place to, to develop a quarterback. They took the one guy that w- was going to be the biggest hit or miss prospect in that draft class. And, and right now, I mean, I, I don't see any way it's going to be a miss. It's, it's a big time hit because of the way they brought him along. Do you also think that it's quite important to have someone developing, you know, like have a quarterback that Josh Allen can develop under? Because, you know, we we can look with KC and, you know, Kansas, they had Alex Smith and then they had Patrick Mahomes on the bench kind of developing underneath him. Whereas with Buffalo, they had Nathan Peterman and Josh Allen as their two, as their duo. Yeah, you know, I think they'd go back and they would have added another veteran earlier in that season. And I, if I remember correctly, they tried to sign Derek Anderson earlier in the year. And there was a reason that he couldn't sign or didn't sign. And then later on in the year, they were able to get Derek Anderson in there too. I think Buffalo's game plan was not to play Josh Allen as a rookie. I think it was we're going to let him develop, get into the system for a year. We'll, we'll unroll him 2019, see what he can do then. But Nathan Peterman, you mentioned he was extremely ineffective, was benched pretty much after his first game there. Uh, It was an atrocious performance. Then, you know, when they did bring in Derek Anderson, there were some injuries there at play. Uh, There was some ineffective play. And at that point of the season, you knew that they weren't a playoff team. And at that point, it's like, hey, you might as well see what this kid can do. So I don't think they wanted him in that Minnesota game, for instance, where he – uh, leapfrogged Anthony Barr and he made some plays and he led the Bills to one of the biggest upsets, you know, in terms of his point spread uh, history in the regular season. But at the same time, you know, those little glimpses probably helped them in their development and saying, okay, here's what works with this guy. Here's what doesn't. And it probably also helped to say, we know that we need some guys that can create separation because as a rookie, he was throwing to Kelvin Benjamin, not an ideal number one wide receiver. Um, I know that they probably thought, the wingspan was something important back then because if he's going to throw high, Benjamin's already a big target. He can go up and get it, but he could not create separation. Zay Jones could not create separation. You had Andre Holmes on that roster. Um, you know, it, it's night and day compared to Stephon Diggs, Cole Beasley, John Brown, Gabriel Davis, and the list goes on and on. Isaiah McKenzie, too, um, compared to what he was throwing to as a rookie. And just continuing on with, you know, as we progress here uh, through the Bills seasons in the past, where were you when Andy Dolan did make that, you know, miraculous throw that did break the Bills drought? You know, I was at home that day. I actually remember that. I was really happy for the fan base. 
Um, and, and it's funny because I get asked that question sometimes, like, how excited were you? I was excited, but not as a fan. I was excited being someone that grew up a fan that knew how much this meant to the fan base. So my excitement was a lot different than a lot of my friends' excitements who were probably jumping through their living room floors, screaming, yelling, hollering. You saw those fan videos that were posted that year with fans just going nuts about that play. Thurman Thomas was at the Bills' final game, and they were all watching that in some concourse, and he was up on a bench cheering, screaming. So I was not at that level, but I sat there, and I remember just how happy I was knowing that that fan base had finally um, broken through that drought, that team had finally broken through that drought. Um, uh, You know, I I know because I do watch some pretty bad teams. For example, I'm a Sabres fan. I'm a Chicago Bulls fan. You know, the, the Bulls had an obviously a great run when I was growing up with Jordan, and they had a nice little run with with uh, Derrick Rose. Never no championships in that latter uh, section, but it, you get sick of seeing the graphic about hasn't been in the playoffs for this long and things like that. And, and the Bills were always atop that graphic for those last few years because, like you said, 17 years and counting, and they finally break through. So that was huge for the team, huge for the the fan base as well. When you look back at, you know, that roster, it is really day and night because on that 2017 roster, we had Tyrod Taylor as the starting quarterback. You know, is it crazy to you at all just how fast that roster changed from then to now? Uh, No, just because a new regime came in and that's how it works in the NFL. You know, you you keep a few guys here and there that you think help from a leadership standpoint. If you, if there is a franchise guy at a position, obviously you don't kick them out the door generally. But I, I think when Brendan Bean and Sean McDermott came in, they said, listen, yes, this team made the playoffs in 2017. Tyrod is a capable starter, uh, but he is not the long-term answer. And, and I like Tyrod Taylor a lot. I, I think he is a, uh, he was an exciting quarterback to watch. He was fun to watch, but you've seen him now go from Cleveland, where he was obviously benched for Baker Mayfield the following year. Uh, wasn't that effective. You saw him get some opportunities with the Chargers, and there was no doubt by the end of this season that Justin Herbert was the better option. Tyrod Taylor, I, I wish that he would have been given an opportunity earlier in his career somewhere else. He, he obviously sat in Baltimore for quite a few years, which may have helped his development, don't get me wrong. But I, I think that maybe if he would have had some more playing time experience, played under some different coordinators that would have given him some more experience, he could have been a guy in this league, uh, uh, someone that started more than he did and had more opportunities. Uh, but the, the writing was just on the wall there that, yeah, you can win with this guy, but can you go to that next level? That's what's important in the NFL. You need that guy that you think can win it all. And nine times out of ten, that quarterback that can win it all is the one that is left standing. That's why Tom Brady's won so many championships. That's why uh, Patrick Mahomes is such a threat in the AFC now. Every now and then you get the Trent Dilfers of the world who win a Super Bowl because there's a stack defense and this, that, or the other. But nine times out of ten, it's an elite quarterback play that gets it done. And I think the Bills realized, hey, you know, we're going to take a roll of the dice in the draft, and we're going to hope to get that guy, which it looks promising right now with Josh Allen. But Tyrod had a limited ceiling, as did a lot of players on that roster. Well, now let's talk about the 2020 Bills season. In your opinion, how did this past season revitalize the dominance of the Buffalo Bills? 
Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I think that anytime you win 13 games in the regular season, it's saying something. The fact that you can go and smack a Patriots team around that had uh, dominated you for, you know, the greater part of two decades and then beat them, I think it was something like 38 to nine in that second matchup. Uh, and just kind of brush them on national TV. That's saying something going into a week 17 game where you have nothing to play for. Uh, you, you know, I think the two seed was pretty much felt like it was going to be locked up because the, the Steelers weren't playing their starters. Although that game did end up being closer than I think a lot of people expected. Um, but the bills go out there and, and they end up having something like a 28 to six halftime lead. They bench Josh Allen. They bench a lot of their key starters. Then even Matt Barkley comes out and throws a few scores, and the, the Bills just roll over the Dolphins, who were playing for a playoff berth. They win that game. They're in the playoffs. If they lost, they still have a chance of getting in. But as we know, that did not work out for them. So to have that kind of dominance over the division go 6-0 and for the first time in team history, it's, it's huge. Are they going to replicate that next year? You know, I'm not going to sit here and say yes. It's very tough to – uh, sweep your division. It's it's only happened, I think, five times now. Twice by the, the Patriots, twice by, I believe, the Dolphins, and I think once by the Bills. I don't think the Jets have ever done it. I could be wrong on that. Um, but it's tough because those are the teams that know you better than anyone else. So even when you're in a down year, those games can be challenging. It's why uh, the Joe Flacco-led Jets almost defeated the Patriots at one point in prime time. It, it's you know, it's why in week one, the Patriots did defeat the Dolphins. So no matter how down these teams are, there's usually going to be a fight. The Bills almost lost to the Patriots themselves in the first matchup, 24-21. Patriots are moving the ball, and then Justin Zimmer strips Cam Newton, and uh, the Bills recover the ball and end up winning that game. So it's tough to do, but at the same time, if you look right now, the Bills are the only team currently, because as you mentioned, Deshaun Watson could end up in New York or even with Miami, even though it seems like those talks have kind of cooled off a little bit. Um, it seems like that's they're the only team that currently have that franchise guy at quarterback, and that's huge in, in any division, any sport, obviously having that guy. A huge contributor, like you mentioned, was Stefan Diggs. He, you know, led the league in receiving yards and receptions. What were your raw reactions to when you first heard that Stefan Diggs is a Buffalo Bill? Yeah, I thought that was an exciting move for this team. It showed that they believed in Josh Allen. It showed that they thought he just needed that one, uh, that true number one wide receiver. You know, John Brown had a career year in 2019. Uh, but one play that always sticks out in my mind is in that Baltimore Ravens game. The Bills come all the way back. They're within a score late, and it's a fourth down play. And John Brown just couldn't create separation on his route. And, it, you know, the pass to that was targeted to him was broken up and the Bills end up losing that game. If you have a, you know, a true number one in that spot, he gets open. Stephon Diggs showed that he could get open against man, against zone. Sometimes teams were trying to double him. There, there was very little that teams could do to take him out of the game. You know, kudos to the Chiefs in the championship. They did kind of make him a non-factor. All the receivers a non-factor uh, with their physical play, but you fast forward to the Super Bowl, the same things that they were getting away with in the championship game, they were getting flagged for on a regular basis. So it's a week-to-week league. Had they been getting flagged for that physical play, the handsy play, maybe Stephon Diggs has a breakout game. Maybe Cole Beasley's open in the slot, uh, this, that, or the other. But Stephon Diggs proved, one, that he was the number one receiver in this league. That's something he wanted to do. I think he felt like he was being overshadowed in Minnesota. 
Minnesota has Delvin Cook. When you when you have a premier running back, I understand why you would be a run first team, why you would still lean on the run more than a lot of teams in this league. You have Adam Thielen, who takes a lot of targets. Um, so I think Diggs just wanted an opportunity to go somewhere where he would be the alpha dog, so to speak. And in Buffalo, he was the alpha dog. And, and there's a reason he had the most targets, the most receptions, and the most receiving yards in the NFL. It's because he was that good. It's because he and Josh Allen – uh, we're on the same page from day one. And, and what should be potentially scary for these opposing teams is the fact that there was no true offseason this year. The two met at, at a workout in Florida, and it was like a one-day deal. They built their bond playing video games. Now, if you give them a full offseason, uh, full, you know, full time to get together and to really work out the kinks, uh, I think that they could both be on to even bigger and better things here in 2021. Yeah, exactly. You know, you could also argue that they have a full offseason to even build that relationship further by playing video games more often. Yeah. You know, Josh Allen was recently doing a uh, Twitch competition where they were playing. I can't remember the game they were playing now. Uh, Fortnite. It was Fortnite. And, and Diggs wasn't in it, but fans were, were hampering him between rounds. Hey, call Diggs, call Diggs. Calls up Diggs on FaceTime, answers right away. He's there. You know, they're talking. You can tell they have a bond. You can tell that they genuinely like and care about one another. And that's also huge at the end of the day for these receivers and, and, and for these quarterbacks. And Diggs has told the story so many times now. When they first started playing Call of Duty together, uh, he needed to be revived in this mode that they were playing. And, and you don't have to revive your teammates, but Josh Allen would go out of his way to find him, revive him, bring him back. Uh, and that meant a great deal to Diggs because, you know, it felt like this guy has my back. It, it honestly feels so good for Buffalo Bills fans that, you know, there is a true number one wide receiver to at least rely on to come up clutch in those situations. Yeah, it, it's big time. And, and, you know, having a true number one allows the Bills some flexibility this offseason. I mentioned John Brown. Uh, I think that realistically he's probably going to be someone that is cut by this team. They save almost $8 million in doing so. When you have Stephon Diggs, and you have Cole Beasley, and you have Gabriel Davis, you can add a cheaper speed option, whether it's in the draft or a lower-tier free agent like a John Ross or a Kenny Stills, and your offense won't miss a beat necessarily. So having a true number one does so much for a quarterback and for a team as a whole. And Stephon Diggs, I mean, he's only scratching the surface of what he can do. He, he already showed, you know – hey, I, I'm, I'm up there in terms of maybe being the best receiver in this game, in this league, and now I'm going to be getting even more looks, more targets my way. Good luck in the future, and I think that he's going to be on to even bigger and better things here, like I said, 2021 in the future, as those two work together more and more. As sports are trying to find their way through working in a pandemic, there have been multiple outbreaks, whether you say it's the NFL, your Buffalo Sabres in the NHL, or even in the NBA. Did you or did you not like how the NFL handled some of those outbreaks? At the end of the day, they did a great job. You look at some of these other, like you mentioned, the Sabres. The Sabres were shut down for a long period of time. A lot of players added that list because they were negligent. Uh, with the New Jersey Devils and letting them play. And that led to that outbreak in the NHL. You know, the NFL went through some some lumps. They went through some tough periods of time. Uh, obviously, with the Titans coming to mind, that Titans game really threw off the Bills. Uh, it was their worst regular season game of the year where they, they let Tennessee really beat down on them. But that game was moved two or three times. Um, and I think that kind of threw the Bills for a loop. So 
you know, it was it perfect. No, but in a worldwide pandemic, I think the NFL did as, as well as a league possibly can. Are you kind of thankful for the fact that, you know, the New York state let fans in for uh, playoff games this season? Yeah, I was because, you know, at that point you saw that opposing uh, fan bases had some fans in the stands in the regular season, you know, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, not that far, obviously from the New York border. We're having 6,000 plus fans in the stands uh, during the regular season. So it's like, you know, at this point, why can't we make it work? If fans are willing to foot the bill to come get a COVID test, to pay for the tickets, to, to be there in the stands, why not allow it? If you're going to have social distancing, if you're going to be careful about it. At that point of the year, I think that we had a much better idea of what we were dealing with. Um, so I was really excited that the Bills were able to get fans in there for the wild super wild card weekend and obviously uh, for the divisional round. Now, you know, if the, and if the Browns had been able to upset the Chiefs, I can only imagine what it would have been like in the championship game, too. But, yeah, it was great to see some fans in the crowd because you can replicate the crowd noise with, with the in-stadium, but it's not the same thing by any stretch of the imagination. And do you think that, you know, the fans were some sort of playing, like some sort of impact on whether you say it's the wild card game against the Colts where, you know, Rivers was wasting a lot of time, a lot of play clock, snapping the ball when it was one second, or, you know, maybe it threw off Lamar Jackson's momentum in the divisional round. Uh, I'm just not too sure on your uh, view here if you think that fans played a huge impact. Yeah, I'm, I'm not so sure about the Colts game because I think the Colts game plan was to run the clock down really late to try to control the clock, keep the Bills offense off the field. Um, it, they got away with all, several plays that probably could have been delay of games. I think that was part of their game plan. When they saw that they weren't getting called for it, they stuck with it. Now, did the crowd affect the Ravens? Absolutely. A few Ravens linemen went on record and said, yeah, we got to go to a silent count at one point. That led to some poor snaps because it, it messed with his, their timing. It messed with their what they were used to. So it definitely affected the Ravens in that playoff matchup, uh, which obviously was a huge win for the Bills. But I'll even go a step further. The Chiefs affected Buffalo in the championship game, having those fans in the stands. Um, the Bills had to go to a silent count at one point. I think that um, having the crowd in the stands hurt communication where the Bills are getting up to the line late first and foremost. And two, if Josh Allen was trying to change something at the line, it's tough to do when there's thousands of fans screaming, yelling, and hollering. So hopefully it was a lesson to be learned there for the Bills, too, because obviously I think here in 2021, uh, you know, the league itself is going to try to get fans in the stands from week one on, obviously still probably in a limited capacity, but more and more fans as that vaccine rolls out. Dak Prescott still hasn't been signed yet to this day, to, to this day today, which is Friday, February 19th. In your opinion, how important is it to, you know, either pick up Josh Allen's fifth year option or just sign him right away? Well, I mean, if I were the Bills and I can't get it done here sooner rather than later, you pick up the fifth year option just as insurance. Uh, but knowing full well that you still can extend him despite picking that up. I think it's smart to pick up the fifth-year option on him. He's proven what he can do. Uh, but but if they can work out a deal ahead of that deadline and work out the deal ahead of, ahead of the deadline, you know, he was probably looking before the season started if he had taken that next step. I thought, okay, $35, $36 million might be where you, you land on him. Well, now he's playing really close to that $40 million point. And if you think that is his level of play, 
lock it in now because the cost of quarterbacks is just going to go up and up and up every year. So just like a lot of these other quarterbacks across the league, you, you look at their deals now and you say, okay, well, $29 million for this quarterback, uh, Sean Watson, which I believe that is his cap hit right now, um, that looks like a bargain for whatever team ends up landing him. So $40 million might end up looking like a bargain next year when the cap goes up again to 200 something or whatever the case may be um after this one year where it's going to obviously go down slightly so yeah if you feel he's your guy lock him in i think that dallas is really wishing they could go back and extend Dak prescott because despite suffering a very serious injury this year they saw what life was like without him and it wasn't pretty he was keeping them in a lot of games on his own and and he has proven that he can uh put up points it's just up to dallas to figure out what to do with that defense and uh, figure it out, you know, to, to make sure that he doesn't have to go out and score 30, 40, some points per game. When Tom Brady did leave New England, did you think that it was finally Josh Allen's time to show kind of like what he was made of? Because a lot of time, you know, the media and just games simply, uh, you know, we were all covering Tom Brady and his success in the AFC East, but now he's left the AFC East. And do you think that it was kind of Josh Allen's time to step up and show what he was made of? Yeah, it was time for Josh Allen and these other teams to kind of say, okay, here's their opportunity to take the ball and run with it. Who's going to do it? And you look at the Jets. You know, believe it or not, there, there was a little bit of hype around the Jets, despite Adam Gase being a, a complete train wreck. Uh, they thought that maybe Sam Darnold would be the guy. There's still a lot of hype about Darnold. I like Darnold, but I think that he just needs to get away from that franchise and, and find a new home. Uh, there was some talk about the Dolphins because they were big spenders in free agency. They spent a ton of money. Uh, Byron Jones, Shaq Lawson, um, Van Noy. I think Agba signed a lower contract, but they, they were, you know, they spent a ton of money. I think maybe the most in the league in, in terms of how much they spent. And then obviously they draft Tua. So the, supposedly they have their quarterback. So there was talk about them being that team. And then obviously everyone just wanted to knock off the Patriots in general. So it was big for Josh Allen to prove himself this past season, which he did, uh, sweeping the Patriots, sweeping the, the division as a whole, having that breakout year. But in, knowing you know how competitive Josh Allen is, knowing how competitive Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott are, there's no doubt in my mind that they wish they would have been able to knock off Tom Brady and the Patriots when Brady was still there. Or if Brady had returned, you know they, they would have gone into this year thinking the same thing. We're going to get digs and we're going to knock off the Patriots with Tom Brady. We're going to win this division. So, obviously, Brady leaving opened up the floodgate, so to speak, for the rest of this division to compete. Uh, but at the same time, I think they would have liked Brady to stay, believe it or not, just so they could have proven, hey, we can win this division with, with him in that picture too. Speaking on the playoff run the Bills uh, went into, did it surprise you at all just how well Phillip Rivers performed in that wildcard game, given his age, and now he's actually retired? You know, yes and no. Um, he gets the ball out quickly, and, and he had the best offensive line in front of him of any of the teams that the Bills faced in the playoffs. Um, you know, I, I'm a big Notre Dame fan, so Quentin Nelson, I knew that he would be a problem. I knew that across the line, though, they had a lot of guys that would be problems, and the Bills in general did not have a great pass rush. So I knew that Rivers would have the time to deliver. Uh, he's always been one of those accurate quarterbacks. He, he doesn't get too high, too low in a game. Even if he throws a bad interception, he comes right back and he's slinging it around. So I wasn't shocked. He was hitting some big plays, though. 
Um, and the Bills are kind of lucky because some of the drives where they stopped them and they missed like a short field goal was a play where it wasn't that uh, they made a play, the Bills did. It was that Rivers threw behind his receiver running in the middle of the field, uh, this, that, or the other. So I'm not shocked by it. You know, I think Rivers is a Hall of Fame quarterback for a reason. I think he will be in the Hall of Fame sooner rather than later uh, once he, you know, he's eligible to do so. So I, I wasn't shocked by his performance much. One moment from that wildcard game that I will remember for quite some time is when Tyler Bass hit that 54-yard field goal, and he was completely juiced after, and then the camera panned over to Stefan Diggs, and he was just golf clapping. Uh, I just <laughs> want to have your view on what that moment really meant for you as a journalist. Yeah, you know, Tyler Bass was was drafted for one reason. He had a big leg. He, he was crushing the ball at the Senior Bowl, you know, a year ago around this time, a little bit before this time. And the Bills said, we need a guy that can kick in the elements here because Steven Hauschka at that point was struggling from that 50-yard range. Uh, so if we can get a guy that can really boom the ball, uh, it could really benefit us. And he went through some some bumps, you know, some some challenges early in the year. But by the second half of the season, he had found his, his way in terms of kicking in the winds in Buffalo, kicking in that weather. And then come playoff time, having the opportunity to kick a 50-plus yarder to create a little bit of separation, that was huge for him. Uh, so I, I love the confidence. I love to see the confidence the Bills had in him, first and foremost. And, and I think that he's going to be a big piece going forward, too. And I think you can tell from that celebration that he really fed off the energy from the crowd that was erupting after he did make that field goal. Yeah, yeah. A lot of players, you know, when, when you make a big play, if there's a crowd there to um, – explode and and to react to that it gives you that extra juice and then like you said that it did that for bass he's already wearing the one piece the one thing of eye black under one eye so he, he's amped up in his own in his own way and i think that uh, the crowd definitely did help him get to that next level Speaking on the divisional game, uh, you know, uh, we were leading up to that game. A lot of people were writing off the Buffalo Bills uh, against the Ravens just because of how uh, magnificent Lamar Jackson is. But what did the defense do, especially to stop Lamar? Well, they did a lot of the same. I shouldn't say the same things, but they, they had the same type of success one year ago as well in the regular season. Uh, Lamar Jackson could not run against them. They stayed disciplined. They stayed in their gaps. They, you know, one thing he likes to do is when the play breaks down, if someone over pursues him, there's a lane for him to run, whether it's outside the pocket or, or even if there's a small gap in the middle of the field, we saw him take off against Tennessee and score a long touchdown in that game. Um, the, the Bills simply stayed disciplined. They said, okay, listen, if a play breaks down, um, or, or the longer we keep him in the pocket, the better it is for us because we're going to dare him to throw more than anything else. And there's one play that sticks in my mind, and I can't remember how it ended now, but I, I remember watching Jerry Hughes, and Lamar was trying to do something with his legs, and Hughes just stayed in his lane. He just stayed where he was, and it was almost like he was watching Lamar. I'm like, why is he not going after him and sacking this quarterback? But it's, hey, if he misses, that whole side of the field's wide open now. So he stayed disciplined, and obviously as the game went on, he ended up with two sacks of his own. Uh, he made some game-changing plays for the Bills, so he, he did make some plays. But there were times where his assignment was stay in your lane, don't over-pursue, don't give him that, that little uh, room to breathe because if he can find it, he's going to take it and he's going to make a big play happen. So the, the Bills simply stayed disciplined on defense. They dared him to be a passer. Uh, I think they knew Greg Roman pretty well, obviously a former offensive coordinator for the Bills. Uh, where, where they said, okay, he's going to stick with the run. He's going to stick to throwing to the tight ends. 
if we can kind of take those playmakers out of the game too, in, in that regard, we're going to make life really difficult. And that's exactly what they did. It must also feel good because the week prior, right, against Indianapolis, you know, Nick Doyle and um, the, I, I'm not sure who else the other tight end is for the Colts there, but those two tight ends really had an impressive game there. And, you know, they were breaking down the Bills' defensive coverage all game long. So to take out the tight end uh, option for Lamar Jackson must have proved, well, it did prove uh, to be worthy. Yeah, you know, the Colts had no shortage. Uh, Trey Burton, um, you mentioned the other there. They even have Mo Alley Cox. So, I mean, they had three deep at the tight end position and they were having their way. And Buffalo struggled against the tight end uh, at times this year, regular season two. So to, to be able to take that out in the playoffs was big. Matt Milano played a big role in that. Obviously, guys going to hit the market, test the market, probably not come back unless the market's not what he expects it to be. Uh, but, you know, the, the Bills in this draft, they kind of have to be smart and savvy. And, and maybe you go out and you get that Buffalo nickel. Uh, last year, Kyle Duggar was supposed to be the, the be-all end-all for Buffalo while he was well off the board before the Bills picked in the second round. Um, so they never had the opportunity to even draft him. Who knows if they would have, but there was a lot of you know smoke around him in terms of being uh, the, the target that Buffalo really wanted. This year, there's some guys in this draft class that can end up being that big nickel, someone that can take out tight ends, cover them. Um, and if you can find a guy that can do that, it makes life so much easier for the defensive line, the linebackers, and obviously the cornerbacks, uh, like a Trey White, who's obviously generally uh, covering the, the opposing number one wide receiver. Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs proved to be too much for the Bills in that AFC championship game. Did you get a sense that Dable was kind of running a different offense than what Bills fans kind of saw throughout the season? Uh, yes and no. I think that as the playoffs went on, I think it was kind of surprising that we saw less and less of a guy like Isaiah McKenzie, someone that you could at least put in, in the, on the field to uh, move around a little bit to see what the opposing defense is doing. But if, if you're rushing up to the clock late, that kind of throws that off because it doesn't give you time to read what the defense is doing. Like I said, they were really physical with Buffalo's wide receivers and nothing was getting called or penalized. Um, so that obviously throws a wrench in your game plan. If anything, it was the defense it, that was disappointing in, in that game to me more than anything else. It, it felt like um, Travis Kelsey could, was running wide open all game long, that he was finding openings. No one had any answer for him for the most part. Uh, Tyreek Hill was a much bigger factor in that game than he was in the first matchup as well. So I'll, it just seems like whatever game plan they had on defense w was the one game plan that, you know, I, I'm sure that Leslie Frazier and Sean McDermott would like to take back and say, boy, I wish we would have attacked that a whole different way. So, uh, you know, offense did not play up to their ability. Don't get me wrong, but the defense was the bigger letdown for me in that game just because they could not stop anything. The only punt that came from that game for the Chiefs uh, came uh, early in the game where Patrick Mahomes threw a perf picture perfect 30 yard pass to Tyreek Hill that bounced off his hand. So, without Hill dropping that ball, who's to say that they even punt in that game whatsoever? Speaking on Leslie Frazier and, you know, Brian Dable, they both didn't get hired this offseason. You must enjoy the fact that, you know, Bills fans and you get to watch another season of, uh, you know, Dable and Frazier's schemes. Yeah, you know, at one point it seemed like Dable was destined for that Chargers job, but they ended up going a completely different route. And I think once that came off the market, nothing else really appealed to Brian Dable. So he was, you know, turning down interview requests, supposedly with Philadelphia, uh, never talked to Houston, and I'm sure, you know, he, he never said that they tried to interview him, but I wouldn't be shocked if 
through a second channel, third channel, someone kind of reached out to me. He's like, yeah, no, I don't want that situation whatsoever. Um, so once that one job was taken, he was coming back. And that is great news for Josh Allen's development. That's great news for Cole Beasley, Stefan Diggs, guys that absolutely love him and rave about him. Uh, I'm sure that he's taking this AFC Championship loss to heart. and He's going to come out and he, with some even more clever uh, game plans and calls and designs. So he, he's really come a long way as a coordinator, especially after that stint at Alabama. I think he learned a lot there with Nick Saban. You know, defensively, Leslie Frazier, I would have liked to have seen him get that job in Houston. Uh, I felt like he's been overshadowed in the hiring process the last few years where the Bills had a top three, top five defense. This year they did take a little bit of a step back, but maybe it's a blessing in disguise that he didn't get hired in, in Houston because that looks like it's going to be a rebuild here very, very soon. And, you know, th- that they could get rid of the head coach well before that rebuild is over. So maybe that wouldn't have been a true opportunity for him. Um some Bills fans were, were kind of hoping to see him go. I know that, but I'm glad he's back. I think that he is a great communicator. The players really trust him. They respect him a great deal. You heard Trey White and you heard Jordan Poyer talk about how they've boosted his confidence and made him into the player that he is today. Trey White talking about how it's great to have a former NFL player that you can talk to and confide in. And I know the defensive linemen feel that way as well. So it's big for this team that they didn't lose any key coaches. Ken Dorsey as well, who was linked to a lot of jobs and or there was supposed interest, but he never ended up getting any of them. You mentioned, you know, the Houston Texans are on the verge of a rebuild simply because, you know, Deshaun Watson wants out and, you know, J.J. Watt uh, unexpectedly uh, announced his release from that team. I know you've been tweeting about it a lot, uh, but what can the Bills do to uh, get J.J. Watt? You know, he they check every box of what he supposedly wants. It says that he wants to go to a team that has a quarterback. They have Josh Allen, number two in the MVP voting. They want he wants to go to a team that can uh, win the win a title. While well, the Bills run the AFC Championship game, I mean they're one step away from playing in the Super Bowl. Uh, cap space: the Bills can create cap space by letting go of a Mario Addison, a Vernon Butler, and those two alone would would have the money for the JJ Watt move. I mentioned John Brown as well. The money can be created. They, they check every box for him. It's just going to come down to what he wants at the end of the day. Uh, I, I would not be shocked at all if he ends up in Green Bay because, you know, in Green Bay, it's a return to Wisconsin where he played his college ball. Um, say what you want about Aaron Rodgers in terms of his long-term play there in Green Bay because they drafted Jordan Love. But this was his best statistical season. He's still playing at a high level. And if, you know, no quarterback is more proven besides Tom Brady than Aaron Rodgers. So maybe there's still some questions. Hey, can Josh Allen do this again? Uh, Hey, can Baker Mayfield, you know, be more like that rookie Baker Mayfield because the Browns are supposedly in on him as well. I don't think Pittsburgh's in on him as much as some people would like because of his brothers playing there. Uh, I think that Ben Roethlisberger might be gone from there. And then does he really want to play with Mason Rudolph as a starting quarterback? I would say the answer is no. So I I wouldn't be shocked if those are the, the final three teams. And if he ends up going to green Bay, but, Buffalo is right there in the mix for his services. As a journalist who's been covering the team this whole season, uh, you know, what I got four options as a potential favorite memory from the season. Uh, the first, uh, you know, playoff primetime uh, home game, uh, home playoff game in quite some time. The Hale Murray, which is quite defining of the season. First playoff win since 1999. Or the Taron Johnson pick six versus the Ravens in the playoffs. 
Yeah, I think that Ravens interception really stands out because the Bills have come out in the third quarter. Uh, they put together this long touchdown drive that culminates in a Stefan Diggs score. And then Baltimore looks like they're going to replicate replicate uh, replicate that drive. They move the ball down the field. Those two drives alone took up the majority of the third quarter. I think there's something like 40-some seconds left after Taron Johnson's interception. Uh, so they get down deep, and it looks like, okay, well, they're going to they're gonna score here, and it's going to be a close game, just like every Bills game. It seems like it's going to go down to the wire when it matters. Uh, but, no, Taron Johnson get, records the first red zone turnover of Lamar Jackson's NFL career takes it to the house by avoiding that first tackle. Uh, and, you know, that really did flip the game on, on its heels because shortly thereafter, the Bills start getting more pressure on Lamar. They take him down in the end zone. He hits his head. He's out of the game. And all of a sudden, that two-score lead looks pretty huge. So, to me, that stands out. But I will say, you know, as painful as that loss to Arizona probably was at the time, it did wonders for the Bills. Um they came out motivated. They pretty much, you know, Mario Addison put something on Instagram saying we're going to come back stronger from this. They did. They didn't lose another game after that. So who's to say that they would have had the same success in the end of the year had they not suffered such a painful loss and said, listen, we can learn from this. We can start putting teams away, which is exactly what they did. They didn't get in many of those situations where they, a Hail Mary could, could uh, cost them the game. They put away teams like the 49ers, the Broncos, the Steelers, the Patriots, the Dolphins. The list goes on and on in the regular season. And then, you know, obviously come playoff time, the Hail Mary was what decided the game in that Colts game, and they were better prepared for that. But it played a huge role in their success down the stretch. Well, I'd like to thank Ryan Talbot, who covers the Buffalo Bills for New York Upstate, for joining me on the podcast. Thank you again, Ryan. Hey, thanks again for having me on.